So fourth and goal for USC. Trips right, right single man to the left. Williams in the gun, Jones remains to his left side. Play clock is at 11. Williams motions out to his right. Washington in short motion from that side. Here's the snap. Williams back, throws left. This one is caught for the touchdown. Brendan Rice, they went right back to the back shoulder throw. This time, Rice snatches it in and scores. And with 11.27 to go, it's Oregon 36, USC 20. An absolute laser from Caleb Williams on the same play to Brendan Rice, not giving the defender a chance that time. Bridges on the opposite end of a good play as Rice snagged it away from him and got across the goal line. An absolute laser. Thanks to Westwood One, Kayla Williams has yet to declare his intentions. Well, that we know of anyway. Wait. Yeah, he might have submitted paperwork, but he isn't telling us that he did because of the drama. We know that his father is in charge of a lot of what's going on, and he's apparently deciding to take a non-traditional approach to his representation. Okay. Well, the draft analyst for The Athletic, Dane Brugler, was on Molly and Haw this morning with Gabe Ramirez and Marshall Harris. And Marshall asked Brugler where, if Justin Fields were in this draft class, knowing what we know about him, where would he fit? Let's put him into this draft class. Let's just, you know, say the the Justin Fields that we know uh, that we've seen the last three years, let's put him in this draft uh, with the, uh, you know, we we have to keep in, keep in mind that he won't be on a, he'll be on a rookie contract, but only for another year. And then, you know, the fifth year option, they need to consider extending him. So that's, that's part of Justin Fields. And, with that attached to him, uh, that that's where it makes it a little bit complicated. Because I've always said with the with the Bears and the number one overall pick, it's not just a football decision. This is a financial decision. Um, you know, it's about uh, resetting the quarterback clock. And with Justin Fields, it's it's not quite that easy. So my thing with with Fields has always been just you know scouting him at Ohio State uh, through the draft process, and now in the NFL. Um, it's just things are too methodical. Um, yeah, he's gotten better in some areas, but especially from the pocket for a guy that's a four, four athlete, uh, things are just way too methodical in the pocket and with some of the decision-making and I, it's just, it's, he has not taken the steps as a passer that convinces me. Okay. Yeah. This guy is worth a hundred million dollar contract. And I'm, I'm willing to trade the number one overall pick to, uh, you know, to bet on fields and bet on a $100 million contract. So I, I still think that I, I, even though fields has made progressions and has shown the improvements that gives you optimism, if I'm Ryan Poles, I'm loving that because it helps his trade value. And I have a chance to uh, get something of value, multiple day two picks. Um, but, you know, there's a reason that there's not a team – uh, in a top 10, willing to trade a top 10 pick for Justin Fields because, you know, again, it's, it's some of the question marks on the field, but it, the fact that you do have to pay him uh, coming up here pretty soon. So with all those things, factors considered, uh, you know, it, it does make it for a, a complicated situation. And But if you're the Bears, I think that's why it's just it's time to move on. It's a chance for Fields to, uh, you know, get a, a new situation, uh, you know, a new uh, new expectations from a different fan base and just kind of, and if it works out great, it doesn't mean the bears made the wrong decision. It, it's just that maybe a clean break is what's best for everybody. Marshall, I heard Justin's the fourth, maybe fifth best quarterback in this draft. I mean, that's what I heard. It's debatable, right? right. I mean, it's it, quarterbacks. I think 
you know, fans think that with quarterbacks in the draft, there's this consensus board that all teams are using. It's it, that, that's just not not true. I mean, it, every quarterback board looks different, especially you know that Justin Fields draft. Uh, I know some teams like Zach Wilson over uh, Trevor Lawrence at number one. You know, everyone beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and especially true at quarterback. So it's just it's different from team to team. And when you look at this quarterback class with Caleb Williams, Drake May at the top. Um, and, and then that's where most teams have those two guys in different order, but those two players at the top. And then it becomes a little bit of a, okay, who's quarterback three? Is it Jaden Daniels from LSU? Where does JJ McCarthy, 27 and one as a as a starter coming off a national title run? Where does he fit in? Is he quarterback three, quarterback four? Uh, you know, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. So yeah, it's a really interesting quarterback class and that makes the the field conversation even more interesting. And as we await the decision from Caleb Williams or news of it, Brugler also explained in detail this declaration deadline. Today, the 15th is officially the deadline. There's no time deadline in terms of, you know, noon or four o'clock. It's just anytime today, uh, if you're an underclassman and you have not done so, You have to submit the paperwork to the league office, uh, indicating your uh, intentions to uh, enter the draft. And then there's a 48-hour period where you can um, take that back, pull your name back out of it. And then on Friday, uh, the league will release the the last uh, list of underclassmen. But unless you publicly announce it yourself, there's no way for anybody else to know that you actually did uh, enter the draft. So... It's really on each player to to announce themselves until the official list is released by the NFL to the teams. So my question, Dane, is, is it a real thing that he could stay at USC, Caleb Williams? That's what people in Chicago want to know. It'd be a pretty big shock. Um, I don't think anybody, uh, you know, just talking to people in the league, talking to people in the agent business, people who are around this. Uh, situation, nobody expects any type of, uh, you know, last minute. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go back. And, you know, we saw this with C.J. Stroud last year. He was one of the final uh, players, underclassmen, to announce on the final day on the deadline. Um, you know, I, he, he did play uh, more recent football, so he had a little more of an excuse uh, with Caleb. I don't know if this is just a, you know, kind of why some of the top high school recruits are the last to sign. You know, they kind of want the spotlight a little bit. And maybe that's what this is. I, I, I really don't know. It's, it's a little curious, but at the end of the day, um, I think everybody expects him to be part of this draft class. All right, a little curious, but you know the way things are now. A little curiosity leads to all sorts of conspiracy theories and rumor mongering and blatantly false reporting about what Williams wants and doesn't want as far as his future. Even there are some who believe that he actively doesn't want to be a Chicago Bear. And this was how Brugler described his feelings in that regard. First off, most of these rumors are, are, are more rumors than fact. And a lot of it is not coming from Caleb himself. It's coming from his camp Um, or, you know, the, the, the rumors at least, um, and this is a player who you know, his football journey has been meticulously planned out since he was 10 years old. Um, his dad and some of the, the training that he has had over the years from middle school to high school to college, 
Um, but you know what? It hasn't always gone according to plan. Uh, you know, he started out at Oklahoma and then Lincoln Riley takes the job at USC. And so uh, they have to pivot and they end up transferring. And, um, you know, there were, there was a chance he wasn't going to follow Lincoln Riley. He was considering other schools as well, but they decided to stay the course and um, it worked out all right. Obviously Caleb won the Heisman trophy that next year. Um, in, in this situation, when you're the projected number one pick in the draft, the team picking number one is picking number one for a reason. You know, there, there's, there's something about the team that made them have the worst record uh, in the league. Now, this is a little bit different because the Bears, they didn't have the worst record, uh, but they own the pick that uh, the worst record has. So if you're Caleb, instead of going to the team with the worst record, you're going to a team that at least showed life uh, down the stretch, especially with the way they played. Um, you have a defense that looks like it's ascending. You have an offense with a, a stud wide receiver, an offensive line that still some question marks, but it's getting better. Uh, it, it's better than it was last year. It's better than it was uh, two years ago. Um, so I, I think you look at that, you think of, uh, you know, Ryan Poles, what he wants to do with this roster, the fact they have another top 10 pick in this draft. Uh, I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic uh, if you're going to the Bears to the number one pick. So there's going to be a lot of noise about uh, Caleb Williams and what he wants and these rumors. I, up until I hear them come directly from his mouth, I, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt. And cause it's, you know, we kind of hear this every year. Um, it's not uncommon for uh, players that are in a position of power to all this noise come out. And uh, a lot of times it just proves to be unfounded and it works out the way it should work out. No, it's not uncommon, but, NIL has changed things. It has. And let's not forget Caleb Williams's words himself. What was it? Uh, October when he, he talked about and his dad discussed the concept of getting an ownership stake. And I think it got taken out of context a little bit, don't you? But what he had to say about permanence and I think having more agency was valid like the desire to have it and the desire to, to have some more um, gravity in your own situation. I think there's unfortunately a terrifying but very sports radio-friendly conversation we really could have about whether or not you would postpone your draft to not be drafted by the Bears if you're a quarterback. That's why until he declares... This is all going to keep – it's all going to continue. I fully expect him to, by the way. I do not I, – I expect the, the reasonable thing is going to happen, and he is going to announce that he's in this draft. It might be 11 tonight. For him. Well, if he's still in L.A., it'd be like 8-59. And actually, he could announce it any time. I mean, at, or he could just not say anything, and then we see if his name is on the list Friday. So there really is no deadline for him. I mean, as long as the paperwork's been submitted, there's no way for us to know. So he could, they could keep radio silence as long as they want until Friday when the list comes out. I got to say, if I knew that I was that good and people liked me that much and I still had another year of eligibility and I knew that the inevitability was being drafted by the Bears, that I was a quarterback, I might think twice. Not just a quarterback. You'd be a quarterback coming to a team that is doing their stupid hiring again, where they keep a defensive head coach and they get some warmed over offensive mind who isn't at the top of anybody's head coaching list to be in charge of your career. We'd seen it in baseball. Mark Appel famously comes to mind, and that is not a good example of what happened. Your job as a quarterback isn't just to get drafted high. It's to secure the second contract. Which is why you don't want to wait a year. 
because then you're a year away from the second contract. Yes, but do you get a better contract on somebody else's team? Maybe. Lastly, Dane Brugler went down the actual strength, the actual quality and depth of the blue chip players in the draft. Because remember, the Bears have two picks at the moment. They've got one and they've got nine. nine. So what? how deep is your love and this draft? This is a good year for blue chip players. And that's not always the case. You know, like two years ago when uh, Trevon Walker went number one overall, like that was a year that didn't have a ton of blue chip players. Uh, this year, I, I do think we have quite a few. I, I think I probably have seven. Uh, talking about Caleb Williams and Drake May at the top, the two quarterbacks. Um, the three receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, uh, Roma Dunze. I uh, throw Brooke uh, Bowers in there. And then, uh, you know, really the two tackles, Joe Alt, Olu Foshin. So what is that, eight eight players that yeah. I think are, are true blue chippers? Um, and, you know, I know the Bears are uh, <laughs> number nine. nine right now, of course. But you know what? <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll see. There, there, there might be a quarterback that goes, you know, Jaden Daniels could absolutely sneak into that top uh, top eight picks, and that'll push another player down to you. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, the, the receivers will be really interesting. Will the three go in the top eight, or will one of those three receivers that I just mentioned, would they be available to Chicago at nine? I, I think if, if one of those receivers is available, that would make a ton of sense to pair a rookie quarterback with one of these really talented receivers. I mean, obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr., everybody knows about. He's not going to be there at nine. Um, Malik Neighbors, I don't think there's a huge gap between Harrison and Neighbors. Neighbors just doesn't have any weaknesses. He really doesn't. He's not the biggest guy, but he's certainly big enough. He's explosive, makes plays after the catch, wins at the catch point. Uh, You really see his seven-on-seven background uh, on his tape with the way he plays. It's really impressive. And then Roma Dunze, the way he plays through contact, the way he can get open, very quarterback-friendly. And so I I think any of those three options would be – awesome for the bears at nine if they get there i think that'll be a big question mark that we talk about throughout the process will any of those three receivers make it all the way to nine i i would say it's probably 50 50 chance i think there's a good chance all three are gone uh but there's at least a you know a chance that uh one of them could still be available that was dane brugler and there are a few people who know maybe nobody who knows more about the draft than he does so always interesting to have him on at this early stage the beast is worth every penny, every single penny. And Especially then I for us. Previous versions, and then I look at them later. We should bring you this little bit of news as well, because I think the headline may not have represented the sentiment correctly. Yes. The headline on Pro Football Talk by our guy Michael David Smith is this: Bills tell fans to wear waterproof pants and boots. In snow-covered stands. Okay, that's the headline. Can I read the actual quote? Yeah. This is what the Bills posted on social media. Tell me what the difference is between the headline and what the Bills said. The Bills said, Our snow removal crews are working relentlessly to remove as much snow as possible before kickoff. A reminder to all fans attending today's game, please dress appropriately for the cold weather including waterproof boots and pants. What's happening there? What's happening is they didn't say waterproof pants. They just said pants. They, they <laughs> Waterproof boots and pants. Right. So they didn't say waterproof pants. They just said make, basically 
pants. Wear pants. I, I don't know if the Bill's Mafia was considering wearing waterproof boots and no pants, but th- this is the the way they've actually phrased it, including waterproof boots and waterproof pants, or pants and boots that are both waterproof. They said, please dress appropriately for the cold weather, including waterproof boots and pants. Like, don't, don't you dare come with no pants on. I know you've got enough for an army today. You're, yeah, no, you're I, nothing but pants. I have two pairs of pants on. I I have, I have my five limits. of brutes. All I have is one. I just have one pair of my fleece joggers on today that have been have changed my life. To simply, to simply tell people to wear pants, I don't think is is that crazy because there was some idiot. I can't remember which game it was this weekend. Uh, it was the, the the Kansas City game with Andy Reid's frozen mustache, where there was a guy. With no shirt on that that was on the camera, like what right. We, well, what that happens all the oh, time. Oh yeah, the Dolphins fan. Was that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that. Yeah, like, that, what are we doing? That happens all the time. That's uh, you know, that's that's owning everybody. That's showing that you're okay with Hell this. Yeah. This, I actually don't even mind it. Like if you're if you're gonna assume that risk for yourself and you feel emotionally charged to do so, like victimless crime. You're not sure, hurting sure. anybody by taking your shirt off at a game, except maybe you. But I did always laugh at the uh, post-pandemic shot of this dude sitting in, like, the very expensive seats in Pittsburgh. Like, he was, like, an older dude with, like, gray hair. Yes, in a Cubs game. completely shirtless sitting there. It was a Cubs game. He expected in, like, the less expensive seat. <laughs> but it was just a whole attitude. Yes, it, it was like an old-fashioned Cubs bleacher bum. Yeah. And just the concept of that point from going from wearing face coverings and everything we had on to this guy just free and easy. And he wasn't even around anybody. No. It's still one of my favorite things because of the the level of ridiculousness. And speaking of Cubs, Megan Montemurro is on the beat writing about the future of Christopher Morell, finding out what we learned at Cubs convention. She's going to join us in just a moment. So keep it here. Bernstein and Holmes, Layla Rahimi in for Lawrence today on The Score. Hey, Chicago. What do you say? Cubs gonna win today. The international language of comic timing. It builds bridges. It brings people together. Megan Montemurro covers the Cubs on the beat for the Chicago Tribune. She is on Twitter at M underscore Montemurro. And with us now on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Sports Illinois. So before we get into what you are putting together regarding the future of Christopher Morrell, what were your overall impressions of what seemed like a pretty upbeat and optimistic Cubs weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think two things. Obviously, you know, bringing in Shota Imanaga and acquiring Michael Bush, you know, certainly builds momentum that the Cubs desperately needed in, a, in an overall slow offseason. Um, and also that they're not done. I mean, Jed Hoyer was pretty clear that, you know, this is not obviously the, the roster that um, they want to have come opening day. Um, and, you know, there's still room to add. It sounds like, though, that the, the rotation's 
pretty set, barring something um, unexpected. But obviously, you know, they, they still need more depth. The bullpen still needs to be bolstered, and they really could use um, more power in the lineup, especially against right-handed pitching. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, Megan. You can't just say we've re-signed Cody Bellinger and let that be the last move offensively, although we know it's the main one. What are your thoughts on, A, the sentiment toward Bellinger, especially at Cubs convention from players, and then, Mm -hmm. B, you know, what they do need and who's still out there? I know Matt Chapman's been discussed a lot, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, you would have thought Cody Bellinger was there given how much he came up. Um, you know, obviously fans really want to see him back and it, and it makes a lot of sense. And from, you know, the, the team perspective and, and talking to players, I mean, he was so well liked on that team, just his demeanor, his personality, what he meant in that clubhouse from a leadership standpoint, like, and then obviously what he did on the field. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're the Cubs, um, you know, you, you want that, that guy back playing alongside of you. So, um, you know, obviously Sometimes these things go all the way into spring training. You know, teams prefer having a better idea when, you know, players report of, of what their team looks like heading into the season. But um, it makes a lot of sense for the Cubs to continue to wait it out and, and see, you know, h- how things play out with Bellinger. Um, he makes a ton of sense. You know, they really need more lefty slug in the lineup and just power in general. Um, you know, they needed to add more power even last year, and that was with having Bellinger. Um, and then when you look at, at, at other needs, I mean, I think one of the big things that they they did well in terms of acquiring Michael Bush, you know, he can play multiple positions. You know, they said that they, they you know, want to give him a long look at first base. Um and then, you know, third base is obviously still open. You have a guy in Matt Chapman. You have somebody in Reese Hoskins who can play first, DH. Um, those are two obvious, you know, bigger proven names that are still out there. Um, so they still have a lot of flexibility of, of what they can do. And I think, you know, that was highlighted, too, by the trade. You're adding young talent uh, through your, your po- prospect depth and, and, and a strong farm system. And, and now you can still invest money in some key spots. You being a Phillies observer for so long, Megan, do you think Reese Hoskins still has something significant left in the tank that would help this team? Yeah, I do. And and I think it's multiple. I think one thing that's good is, you know, he's coming back from an ACL injury and, you know, he was far along enough uh, in progressing from his rehab that, you know, if the Phillies had made the World Series, it sounds like he would have been activated and part of that that series. Um, So obviously, you know, he's, He's at the point of being fully ready. You know, it's not so. It's not. He's not coming back from an injury that's like a shoulder injury, where you're you're much more worried about how does the power, you know, return from something like that. This is something that, you know, he should still be a guy that has a really good on base percentage. You know, works counts. Um, obviously, hits for power. I mean, maybe the one question would be, you know, how much can you re- play in that first base defensively? Um, you know, just because that that hasn't always been a strength for him. Um, but just from a pure hitter standpoint, yeah, I mean, that would be huge. He's a great clubhouse guy. Um, and so, yeah, he, he still makes a lot of sense, and I still think he has um, a lot in the tank that would, that would be helpful for this team. What is Bush's role going to be? I mean, they're, they're, they're basically giving him every opportunity to, to play every day. I mean, Craig Council said that he conquered – the minors. I mean, he's coming off being the the Pacific Coast League MVP last year um, in the Dodgers system at AAA. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's ready to have a shot. And I think that's really important in this case that, you know, he has some runway to show what he can do. It's not one of those things where, I mean, he, he, he experienced last year in LA with, you know, a brief call up and not a ton of opportunities. You look at a guy last year, like Matt Mervis, same thing, small sample size, not a ton of opportunities, but it sounds like they're going to give him every opportunity to solidify an everyday role on this team. Um, and it sounds like it'll, it'll at least initially potentially come at first base, obviously pending what, what other moves they might make. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's going to have every chance to have a big role on this team and um, they definitely need someone with his, his profile in the lineup. I found some of what was said in your piece about Christopher Morrell to be really interesting because they really thought through the concept of do we want to give him like immersion therapy at mm-hmm. one spot or spread it out a little bit? I think it was eggs in the basket was the metaphor that Carter Hawkins used. Do you think that they that they're sure yet? Because I, your reporting made it sound like they're still open to different pathways here. Yeah, I thought it was I think the Christopher Morrell question is, is so interesting because you know, asking Jed about him at the end of season press conference in October, like he acknowledged like, yeah, we need to figure out like, are we putting him at one spot and what would that one spot be? And, you know, it's pretty clear that Craig Council values versatility and he likes what that can mean for Morrell, whether it is playing him sometimes at third base or he's gotten work in the Dominican at first base. Obviously he can play some outfield. He showed he can DH. Um, he can play second or short if you have to give Nico or Dansby a day off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Council obviously very, very much values that. And, and, and he did, though, at the same time, acknowledge that, like, sticking a player at one position every day will make them better at that position. But he thinks that having a guy with Morrell's talent level, when you can play a guy at that many positions, you know, it helps put together lineups. Um, you know, it gives more flexibility of what you want to do. So I think it's interesting. You're weighing like team good versus what's best for the player. And maybe sometimes those things don't always align. I mean, I think the most interesting thing was, you know, Carter Hawkins was, was asked, you know, why not just play morale at third base every day in spring training, you know, and see whether you can handle it. And that's what kind of what you alluded to. You know, you said, you know, you could put your chips all in one spot, or kind of balance them out among multiple areas. And he acknowledged, like, they don't know necessarily right now what the right answer is, but that to start, and at least the plan as of now heading into spring, is they're going to play them at multiple spots. And then at when they, when or if they get to the point where there's better odds that, you know, he can help them at, at, at one position, then they'll adjust. But right now they're, they're going in with, you know, big picture of we're going to keep moving them around. How much do you think that the Cubs are done signing people or at least free agents? And how much do you think could come via trade as far as possible improvements? I definitely don't think they're done. I mean, looking at this roster, yes, uh, Imanaga and and Michael Bush are are really good additions. But I don't think you can say this this roster is necessarily better than the one um, that they had last year at this point. Um, So yeah, there's still more work to be done. I I think it's more likely to come through free agency now that they, they tapped into some of that prospect depth through the Michael Bush, Yancy Almonte trade with the, with the Dodgers, especially 
giving up somebody like Jackson Ferris, but I don't think you can necessarily rule out any more trades. I just think they're in a position where now they can use the financial aspect and the money they have available to, you know, potentially add still impact players, especially offensively. Is Nick Madrigal finally going to be in a proper role on a roster, which is maybe replacing Miles Mastroboni as the, the, the last guy on the bench? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see that. I mean, he showed, obviously, he can handle third base, and he gained a ton of trust for the way he played the position. He can play second. Obviously, the key for Madrigal always is, you know, is he going to hit enough? Um, you know, he's not a guy that is necessarily going to draw a ton of walks. So, is he putting the ball in play? Is he staying out of double plays? Is he finding ways to get on base? Um you know, can he, you know, be a smart base runner in the in those situations where he might be put into pinch run? Um, so I, I think that opportunity is definitely there for the taking for him. Um, and it, and they showed, you know, for chunks of the season last year that that when he was healthy, that he can be that kind of hitter. So yeah, I think this is going to be a big a big camp for him. Megan, as somebody who worked in Philly, I also have to ask you about tonight's playoff game with the Eagles and Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Your laugh kind of indicates that you, you know where I'm going with this. What's the DEFCON level you think for the Eagles tonight? I mean, I think I think I think that I, I think just like for me as like no longer being in Philly but still like kind of staying on the pulse via social media, like the fact that like Eagles fans are just resigned that they're gonna lose basically <laughs> seems to be the vibe. Um is kind it is like par for the course for, for Phillies fans, for Philly sports fans and Eagles fans. Um I mean, yeah, I mean based on how the last like six games have been like like you have to anticipate something insane happening that ends up losing the game, right? Like that feels like very strong Philly vibes. So that's kind of my mentality going into the game that they're just going to find some like terrible way to lose. I knew you enjoy a good slice of sports melancholy and dysfunction. And I figured yeah. you would be into this as well. I'm <laughs> glad to see that that's the case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think once you, once you've lived in Philly, especially for any length of time, like, even when you leave, you still you still bring that vibe with you. You do. Yeah, I certainly did. I appreciate that. <laughs> Megan, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Megan. That's Megan Montemuro. I won't get into uh, any uh, of the uh, addressing of any aspects of any part of it, uh, from uh, the coaching to the players to what's around the corner. Uh, uh, on a personal basis, I'm, I'm floored, and so uh, uh, not that there's any world's smallest violin for me being floored. I get that. I understand that. That was pretty much all Jerry Jones said after the Cowboys lost 48-32, to but it wasn't that close to the Packers. Since the Cowboys have uh, existed during the same time as the Houston Texans as a franchise, we're going to bring up UGK. The Texans have more playoff wins. That's where we're at with this thing in Dallas. And we all thought this was a reinvented Cowboys team. And Dak Prescott was finally healthy. And I even questioned when my buddy Paul Aspen works for BetQL and is an Eagles mm -hmm. fan, thought that the Cowboys were going to win the NFC East. Because I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like there's some holes in this. And they were all exposed at home yesterday. That was an embarrassing loss. 
Did somebody am, say it correctly that America's team isn't even Texas's team? I mean, if somebody said that, they were probably from Houston and they're trolling. Probably. But, but one team is moving on to the playoffs and the other one is not. Yep. And you want to talk about a team that still lives based on nostalgia? The Cowboys are an excellent example. Jerry Jones hiring Mike McCarthy is an excellent example. And I thought that Dan Quinn had reinvented himself too. But do you know one of the biggest complaints was about the defensive play calling scheme last night? Micah Parsons was back in pass coverage. Does that sound like a familiar indictment to you of anybody we might know here? Justin Jones perhaps covering David Njoku? Twice on third down. Twice that happened. Once against the Browns. Another time against the Falcons. Both in crucial situations. In fact, one of the headlines I just read about Dan Quinn said, does anybody still want Dan Quinn as a head coach after that? Apparently so. And I have to ask the same question. Apparently so. I mean, the interviews are, we're getting news that he's already flying out for interviews. That didn't take long. No, but again, if your playoff games are telling some truths, I think that that stands to be part of the discussion. You want to talk about a team that's still living in nostalgia? And can't figure out how to move forward. And you know what's really funny, Dan, is the only comp I could come up with for what we saw out of the conflict when it came to how people remember the dynasty is Jimmy Johnson finally getting inducted into the Cowboys ring of honor. But the difference is people view Jimmy as the good guy in that scenario. And Jerry is the somewhat good guy because he was still there and they still won another title. Albert Breer of SI reports that Dan Quinn is scheduled to interview with the Panthers and the Titans on Wednesday the Commanders on Thursday, and the Chargers on Friday. It has been 28 seasons since the Cowboys last played in a Super Bowl. Wow. And I 28. And I think it's been, I think it's also been the same amount of time since they last got to an NFC championship. I, I don't know, man. I don't, like, you want to talk about teams that are still stuck in the past. I, I don't know how you don't mention them in the conversation well the bears are right there the last time the cowboys made it to the nfc title game was 1995 that's the year that was super bowl 30 that was in phoenix when they played the steelers if they fire mike mccarthy i worry that if you cut off the head a new one will grow in its place (laughs) do you have any idea how much that stings Seriously, mm-hmm. I th- it kind of goes back to what we were discussing last week. You ask who's really in charge. And I don't know that there's any mechanisms in place to say that they need something different. I'm still somewhat shocked that they've been able to amass as much talent as they have, knowing Jerry still carries a title of owner general manager. Does he still do a weekly radio show? Yeah, 105.3, our sister station in Dallas. Where he... Comes on, and it's like, does he take calls or does he? Like, I've, it, it's pretty incredible to have that. I mean, that, that's got to do like a 20 share. I, so I just didn't know how good I had it, knowing that all these owners talked all the time. I just thought that that was how it was done. Didn't realize that that wasn't how it was done. But for him to not say anything after what recently occurred and he's that mad, I just, what are you going to do about it, Jerry? Are you going to talk to one person again and think you've got your guy? Or are you actually going to try to hire people now? 
who are of the modern era in this league. I always wonder about his short list there because the, the presumption was that it's Belichick. But thinking about it from that perspective, if you're Belichick, why do you want to come work for him? Also, Jerry Johnson or Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson broke up because of that reason. Jimmy wanted control over player personnel, and Jerry didn't like it. Yeah, I don't think that would be the most inviting scenario for somebody, even if you had like some executive semi-retirement position, when no matter what, it's going to be at, at the, the whim of the owner and it's still your name on it. It took him too long to fire Jason Garrett. Tony Romo even tried to warn us then about that offense being bad schematically. He tried. I'll give him that. But this time around, say Mike McCarthy gets fired. Jerry had somebody in mind the last time. I don't think he does this time. I wonder if people are as triggered by cutaways to Jerry Jones, too. Does that bother bother Tony Dungy? Is he disenchanted by cutaways to Jerry Jones? Is he disenchanted by Eminem? Yeah, I saw, saw a him lot of cutaways to lot, Eminem. A lot of Eminem. Is, is he ruining football somehow? I was hoping that people would jump on the bit when I saw that he was there, that jump on the reverse Taylor Swift like complaints on, on social media, and they did. I mean, how many times are they going to cut away to Jason Kelsey tonight? My goodness. It just, it's the weirdest thing of all people to, to have some sort of distaste for. Like, what's, she, she's awesome. At the end of the day, she's, there I are mean, some men who believe that women should only be seen and not heard. And if they are heard, it should only be in support. Well, that's, she is supporting that, the team. They can't understand. But even they can't so, use them. Like, but like, I don't, I, I, of all people to try to demonize in this case, like she, most people really like her music, even people who don't like all of it, like some of it. She, you heard some of it. She, yeah, not, you haven't I, heard all of it. She, her, her shows are, are famous for giving everybody way more than their money's worth. She also has a reputation as an incredibly nice person. Big tipper. Like, She's a successful woman right, who doesn't necessarily like, need a man to survive. Correct. This but, is not hard to understand. But it's still like the level of vitriol. Like, stay, I, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I guess it is still hard to understand for me. Maybe it shouldn't be. But it's like, of all people to be mad at, somebody who didn't do anything to you, other than make really good music and and be by all accounts because a, it's not a about terrific her. person. It's not really about her. It's no. about them. It's about them. So, so these it's like and they're I'm, bad because it's not about them. Tony Dungy is just such a dill hole. This guy who is Mister Sanctimonious Paragon of Virtue, just a piece of crap. I'm sick of him. I'm not if, if and if he really thinks that if he really thinks that there's this this mass disenchantment, which by the way is is completely debunked by all the actual viewership numbers that show that people cannot get enough NFL football no matter what else is going on. Then what? How out of touch is he for all things NFL? Then if he's that wrong about that, did you see how many? Uh, more Instagram followers, the woman who created her jacket. That's that's got, Kyle Usechek's wife. Wife, yes. She so she she custom made that jacket out of a jersey. Yeah. And she's got a hundred more Instagram followers. Yeah, and the, and the video of her doing it, like she didn't just design it. She made it. Yeah, I just at the end of the day, some people don't understand that a whole gender is not there for their use. It's really hard for them to get because it's not really about that. Yeah, that jacket was sweet.
It really was. But does this make me think that uh, the Cowboys are going to hire the right person for the head coach if they fire Mike McCarthy? I wonder who Jerry's shortlist is. It might be Kellen Moore just because he let him get away. I'm not real sure. He's got to have – He there's no way he's going to fire him without already knowing what the plan is. I just – if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm not interested in that job. But what did I say after the Bears lost to the Packers to open the season? My concern was what made you think that what you had was okay? And I feel like the same mm-hmm. question needs to be asked to Jerry Jones. I think that's fair. I do. We got more Bulls talk coming your way. We spent some time talking about the Friday night debacle, but there's actually some basketball stuff in there, too. And the Bulls with a couple of winnable games. I guess no Evan Mobley, no Darius Garland for the Cavs tonight. And I want to remind you that if you are turning on the score later today, you go, where are the Bulls? Well, we're going to be carrying Steelers-Bills starting at 3 o'clock. And then when that game ends, Bulls-Cavs will be joined in progress on the station. If you want Bulls and nothing but Bulls, the pregame coverage starts at 545, tip-off at 6 on the Odyssey app before it transfers over at the conclusion of the football game. So there you go. Bill Weddington will join us next on the score.